Hello, everyone, and welcome to Define. I'm super excited about today's guest. I got to meet Michelle at a really awesome writer's retreat um, with with an author called Christy Gardner. We'll actually have her on um, in a couple episodes. I'm pumped about that. But today I'm focusing on Michelle. Michelle is seriously one of the most thoughtful, kind people you'll ever meet. She has been a really excellent parenting coach. She has her own podcast as well, and I'll link to her podcast in the follow-up on this on my posts. But honestly, if if you're a parent, if you're a person, and you want to just learn more how to be a more present, capable person, you need to follow Michelle. She's incredible. Um, welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sweet. So Michelle, just before we get going into your defining moments, I'd love to hear more about you. Tell me, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Well, I am, first of all, I've been married for 24 years and I live in Arizona and I'm a mom of four kiddos. So I have two adult kids and two teenagers. And usually when people hear that, you know, their faces kind of cringe, like, oh, I'm so sorry. But I love the years of having teenagers. It's been really fun. So my kids are 21, 20, 17, and almost 16. So it's been kind of a wild ride, but a lot of fun. And we enjoy the outdoors. Our family loves boating. I love to create in whatever form is available to me, except usually halfway through a DIY project, I think, why? Why did I ever think this was a good idea? So we're a pretty active family, and and if I can be outside, my soul is going to settle, and all will be well. Oh, that's fantastic. What What would you say when when life does get crazy, whether because of kids or other things, what's kind of your favorite thing to do to help you unwind? So I would love to have something glorious, but I love to take naps. I am <laughs> a napper. And I don't know if that's because for a minute, I just need to shut down and pretend like the world doesn't exist, but I, I need my quiet time and my space. And if I want to be more active, then I'm going to go for a hike or find a way to let the sunshine hit my shoulders a little bit. No, I understand the nap thing for sure. So, okay. So I'm going to let you kind of kick it off. Michelle and I kind of talked a little bit about what her defining moments were. Um, but Michelle, I kind of want you to introduce that and kind of go with it. I'm excited for everyone to hear. Okay. When, when you first asked me about a defining moment, my mind went to several. And I think that's true for all of us. We have many defining moments. And so three came to mind for me. And each of them has a common thread. And that's, that's why I want to share those. The first was, first of all, people ask me all the time, how did you get into parent coaching? What, what brought you there? And uh, let me tell you, it's not because I was a great parent doing everything right with these magazine perfect kids and a beautiful clean home. It was actually quite the opposite. Our family was struggling and we were a mess like most families are. And, and so that's how I ended up where I was. When our kids were quite young, I had four kids under the age of six and, you know, life is busy. 
Life is busy when you have that many kids close together and it holds a certain amount of chaos. But I could see that something wasn't quite right with one of my kids. And I didn't know what, but his behaviors were pretty extreme. And because his responses were so big and because the way he interacted with our family was so strong and fierce, it created discord and hurt and a little bit of crazy all the time. And what we didn't know was that he had experienced some early childhood trauma. And so we we just kept trying to fix him. We just kept trying to make him behave. If, if he could just behave, everything in our family would settle down. And I'm not going to get into the details of that story because it's not my story to tell, but I do want to talk about what my experience was. Um, there, there became a point as our family was in this really chaotic and painful place that most days, first of all, I ended up feeling like I was a complete failure as a mother. I looked at my friends and their lives were going smoothly. Their kids could do things like go to the grocery store or run to Target without having a complete meltdown or utter chaos. And I couldn't. I couldn't. Every Everything we tried just ended messy, just really messy. And so I was withdrawing and getting more and more private and more internal, trying to figure out what was happening. And quite honestly, I was getting angry because I couldn't, I didn't know what was happening and I couldn't fix it. And all I knew is that I was failing. And so as I looked at this kiddo who was struggling in particular, my spirit could feel that something wasn't right. I didn't know what, and I knew we had to try something differently. But I had been taught that my job was to pray and to find answers and to figure things out. But I was doing that with all of my might, and the answers weren't coming. And I ran into several different people at the store, and they introduced me to some resources. I was reading books. I was, I was trying to do all the self-help things, and it, there was still really very little impact. And I was just finding myself feeling more and more frustrated. So, you know, fast forward a little bit. My husband and I were now at odds because I realized I needed help. There was this moment where we were sitting together and again, we had both been taught that it was our job to figure things out. I was out of ideas and I was asking for help and saying that I needed help. And he was like, yeah, we do need help, but we're supposed to be able to figure this out. I think, I don't know if you can relate to that dialogue, but that's really where we were at is, but does it mean we've failed even more? If we ask? Yeah, no, I, I completely understand this. It, if you can't figure out yourself, then that means you're not good enough. Yeah. And every message pointed to you're not good enough. and. And that was a scary place to sit because we'd worked so hard to create this dream life. We'd worked so hard to create this little family that we'd wanted for so long, and it was falling apart. We were losing our connection with one another, and we were losing our connection with our son. And there finally came a moment where we were together, and he wasn't very old, but it was as if clarity came and we could see that if something didn't change, our connection with this child was in serious danger and we were at risk of losing this kid. And I don't know where that came from exactly, but it was really clear. And it was at that point that we knew 
we had to get help from an outside source. And in doing that, it required us to look at some things that we didn't want to look at. What kind of, if you don't mind my asking, what kind of things I think were were hardest to look at? If you're comfortable sharing that, but... The hardest things to look at were that it wasn't about just fixing the kiddo. Um, It wasn't about just making him be better. And, And really, quite honestly, in my mind at that point, it wasn't about making him be a perfect child who just listened and did what I wanted. Because that's what I thought parenting looked like. I thought parenting looked like me saying, hey, do this. And the child saying, oh, okay, great. That meant I was a good parent if my child listened in that way. I was asked to look at how I was parenting. I was asked to look at how I was building or not building relationships with members of my family. And I was really asked to look at what I could control and what I couldn't. That has continued to be probably the most painful piece of life for me is what can I actually control and influence and what do I need to let go and trust that the other person is capable and able to walk their journey and we can do it together, but on separate paths. So you're kind of having to deal with not only trusting yourself with knowing what you can control and what you can't, but also trusting that the other person's going to be okay. Yes. Yes. And I'd, and I'd say trusting that the other person is going to be okay was huge at this point in the story. Later, it definitely shifted to trusting myself strongly. And what I mean by that is trusting that the efforts I had put in were enough. Trusting that the love I offered was whole and full and what didn't hinge on how that other person behaved. Let's dive a little more into that then. When, when did that shift really start kicking in? So in this whole phase, in this, this early phase, I kept having the feeling that something wasn't right. But again, I didn't have full confidence to trust that. I got there. Eventually, I got there and it led us to where we needed to be. But several years later, I was running late from picking a kid up from school and had been busting my tail all day to do all the things. And I was running a new business, you know, had little kids, younger kids at home and had teenagers. And, and so I was just running and, and I was, I'd forgotten, quite frankly, I'd forgotten to pick somebody up. So I got to the school, I went to pick him up and as he climbed in the car, this particular kiddo did not ask for much at the time. And if you had asked me in my mind, I was I was doing everything I could to give to my family. And he hops in the car and he goes, he was frustrated. And he goes, man, he goes, I just wish you were more available to me. And my first reaction was, are you freaking kidding me? I am running like a mad woman to try and do everything for you. And you're telling me that I'm not available. And so my first reaction was anger and like, get the heck out of my car. You can walk home. Um, I did give him a ride home and I didn't, I didn't react in that way, but that's what was happening in my head. And it just was like, Oh, okay. You know, what do you do with that? So, um, 
As I began to peel back what he said, and because of the child that said it to me, you know how different people say things to you and you listen differently? Yeah. With this, with this kid, I listened differently because he wasn't one who was asking for much. So I sat with his comment. And as I did, again, I had to look at some things I didn't want to look at. My spirit clearly whispered, he's right. You are running and you are chasing and you are hustling, but you aren't actually available. And it wasn't the type of availability that we often think of about, um, it wasn't the type of availability we often associate parenting with. So it wasn't about carpool. It wasn't about giving and doing or, you know, helping with chores. It wasn't about the doing. In this context, it was about being. And it was about my spirit being calm and available enough to connect. So I was running so crazy fast that I couldn't slow down to actually connect and be present with the people that I loved and cared about most. Now, I remember talking to you about this. This is probably one of our first long conversations mm-hmm. when we met at the retreat because you, you said something about striving to be more present. and That's something I'm personally trying to do. It's so hard. So what did you even do to get started to try being like being there in a, in a different way, not, not so much as acts of service, which is what a lot of parenting is and stays just because of how necessary that part is. But what did, what even helped you kind of kick that off to be present in the way that you're talking about? It comes back to, in this instance, this one of the threads that was present in, in every, that has been present in each of my defining moments. And that's, I needed help. I didn't know how to do it. My spirit was telling me that I wanted to, but I could not see a clear path. And so it actually happened when I was looking for help for a different kid. Because at this point in my life, one of our other kids was needing help. I knew how to ask for help at this point. So I went to a counselor's office and my my job over the course of this you know, 10 year span had been getting help for my kids, helping the people around me be present in their bodies, feel their emotions, cope with their experiences so that they could be more healthy. That's all awesome, except I wasn't doing the same thing for myself. And so, so soon after this car conversation, I found myself in a counselor's office looking for resources for one of our other children. And as I sat there talking to her, my mind was almost having a separate conversation with itself. So I was telling her what was happening with the child, but in my mind, I was seeing everything that was happening to me. And that is, I had really walled myself off and I had really become so independent and so strong and so capable that I was no longer relying on others. And I was drowning. And the words of this kiddo, you're not available to me. I just wish you were available. Every, all of that was just flooding through my mind. And so finally I stopped and I looked at her and I said, I need help. I need help. I have a beautiful life, a beautiful family. It's hard, but I have it and I am not enjoying it. I am a parent coach who teaches and who lifts and guides other families, 
And yes, my family is doing those things, but me personally, internally, I'm not feeling the joy. And so as I sat there in that moment and took a chance and trusted my spirit and what it was saying, it opened the door. And that's where the self-trust really comes in strongly. It had been present and in a piece of every defining moment, but this was where the, t- the key kind of turned more fully and opened the door to what does your spirit need? What does your brain need? Was that a relief being able to finally open that door? Was it just another overwhelming experience for you? Kind of, what was that like? It was, it was daunting because I could feel it, but again, I didn't know how to get there because all I could see was the list of things that needed to be done. And the only answer I knew how to give was yes. If you only say yes, and your job is to hustle and do and prove that you are enough, how do you, how do you actually get there? The process of learning to slow down just enough to check in with my body and to check in with my spirit and mind and ask the question, what are you feeling? What do you need in this moment? And actually, I would say it started out more with what do you want? Because in all of my running, I was running, but I didn't want everything I was running for. I knew, like I would sit there and schedule out my business day and I would say, ah, in my mind, I'd be like, I just want to take a nap. I just want to take a nap and I just want to do, like I want to redecorate my house. And that's a funny thing for me because, again, I don't love DIY projects. I'm not much of a decorator. So when my body and soul starts craving decorating, I know that I am running in a place of deficit because it's wanting something that it doesn't actually... (laughs) I want to create, but I don't want to redecorate my house, guys. So if my body starts saying, I just want to redo this room, then I need to start asking, oh, really? What actually do you want? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same way. Anytime I want to dye my hair a crazy color, like it happens at least once a year. I dyed my hair pink this year. Like I'm like, oh, I need something to shift. And <laughs> hair is a lot easier than doing the mental internal work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I understand. I'd rather redecorate a room than look at what's happening internally for me. So I met with my counselor once a week for a, a really long time, like probably three years. And over that course of time, we practiced. And she would ask me every time, what are you feeling? What are you needing? And what I didn't understand is that I had helped my family walk through the trauma and hurt and pain of our early years. But I had never given myself the space to do that. And what was beautiful is that they were now at a place of capability and capacity and strength. And I had helped create that. And so there was something great in it. But I needed to step back and take care of me. I need oh, I, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I just needed to listen and and trust that when my heart said, say no, you don't want to do this, it would be okay. How hard was it to start saying no? I, uh, I, think, you, I think you hit the nail on the head with what you said. Just we we do things all the time that we don't want to. Period. Like I think that's 
part of our challenge in life. So how was it to start saying no? How, how did that go? You know, it, it was messy. Um, it was really messy. Sometimes I don't think you realize your boundaries been crossed until it happens. So I had set the goal of starting to say no, but I failed usually. And it was when I found myself mid-project feeling resentful and angry and wishing I had said no that I realized, oh, you actually meant no when you said yes. And so there was a lot of there was a lot of failure in that process. But once I started to realize that the pattern was there of me resenting things and wishing I'd said no, then I began to have a little bit more courage in saying no. And when I began to say no, I sometimes wished I had said yes. And I feared if I'd missed a great, huge opportunity. And what if I'd missed my pathway to success or all our friendship or all the things. And um, I had to just sit back and trust that that another path would open and that my spirit was worth listening to. I could trust the feelings that were coming to me. How did, was it just practice that kind of helped you get over there, that anxiety or did anything else really just help you be okay with that? Cause that's something I struggle with too. I'm a big yes person. What kind of advice would you have for someone who's just learning one to listen mm-hmm. and two to actually say no and take some space for themselves. So was it just practice? Yes, it was practice, but it was practice with accountability. And that was where my meetings with my counselor did come in very handy because I had a place to A, reflect and ask the question, how did the choice I make work for me? Not the other person, not my children, not my husband, but how did the choice I make work for me? Then I had a chance to look forward and say, would I make that same choice again? Or would I want to maybe do it a different way in the future? I actually, because it didn't come naturally to me and everything in my body wanted to fight it, I did two things. Number one, I scheduled in white time. And and I think I heard that phrase from Brene Brown. I don't remember where, but I scheduled in blocks of time that I treated as sacred as a doctor's appointment that I had waited months for. And nothing could encroach upon that time. And I, I built it into my week and made it a practice to keep it open. When I got to that time, I broke that time down into 15-minute increments. So if I'd set aside an hour, I had four 15-minute blocks. And I had to check in every 15 minutes and ask myself, are you doing something that feels good for you? Are you doing something that you want to be doing? And if I was, I could continue. If I wasn't, I had to ask myself the question, do you want to continue or do you want to change? Is this what you want right now? And I did that over and over and over again. And I set a timer in the beginning. I set a timer for every 15 minutes. And it sounds ridiculous, but my brain had to have that tangible check-in. So through small processes that had nothing to do with big decisions, I began saying yes and no in safe places where it wouldn't have an impact on anybody else. And when I began to see that I could say no in insignificant ways and things would work out and I'd be okay, then I was able to take that confidence and carry it into other areas of my life. Oh, I love that. Was there a point where you just wanted to 
give up and go, oh my gosh, this is not worth it. I'm never going to be able to get this. I'm never going to be able to be yeah. able to do this. Yeah, I still do it. I still do it. I'm like, oh, it would just be so much easier to just not feel, not think, and just run on autopilot. I will still, my brain will still go there because it is a hard process and it is any type of change we're going to make in our life requires some labor, mental, physical, it's just hard. And so, yeah, I wanted, I wanted, to, I, I will say I wanted to give up all the time because I couldn't see the flip side. Now my brain will go there, but there's no way I want to go back because what I've learned is that when I feel the pain, I feel the joy. When I feel the hesitancy or the the wrestle in my spirit and I listen to that, what comes out on the other side is a tremendous sense of calm and grounding and confidence that I would not trade for anything. And it's hard because we're surrounded by people who see and sense the world differently. They experience things in their own unique way. And so when we check for that outside feedback from other people, sometimes they don't give us the feedback we need. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's not even about their intention. They, they're trying to help. Like it's very kind and but yeah, no, that makes sense. It's it's about their own experience. So even when I think about back to the very first story with, with my kiddo, what happened involved a lot of different kids and involved our neighborhood in a pretty large way. What, what made it really tricky to trust myself and to follow the inklings and in instincts I was experiencing for my family and my children is that other people were experiencing it differently. So I felt kind of crazy. And I felt kind of minimized. So people would say things like, well, I mean, they're just kids. Why is this such a big deal to you? You know, he'll, he'll grow out of it. He'll be fine. You're overreacting. If you did things more like I did, your family wouldn't struggle this way. And all of those little comments we receive from people, not intending to be hurtful, they make it a little bit harder for us to trust ourselves. The only way we can do that is to begin to check in real frequently create a place of calm to ask, what am I feeling? What do I want? What do I need? And then take small steps to move in that direction. And we'll be given either the momentum to continue or this feeling of, ooh, this doesn't feel quite right. I got to put the brakes on. And then the voices of the outside world will fade away and and we can lean into that space of self-trust even more. How do you start if you don't even trust yourself at all. Like if you've gone through a traumatic event yourself or like I I've dealt with PTSD and it was really hard to kind of trust if something was for me or something was from just like that whole experience. So what do you, where do you go if you don't even know where to start? Like, I don't know if I can trust any of my thoughts right now. Where do you go to help start that? I think that's super fair and and really real because I know I sat in this space of, I can't even tell if this thought is from me or our thoughts, our thoughts get so tangled up. And I think there comes a point where we need some help and whether it's with a coach, I would say the more traumatic the experience, look for a qualified counselor, but we need an outside perspective. We need somebody who can help us sort through our thoughts and help us connect with our hearts. 
Because my experience has been that as tangled up as my thoughts get and as tangled up as my mind gets, my heart is usually pretty clear, but I just can't always hear it. And so I need to find some support in tapping into that resource. You know, it's kind of like when somebody asks you to go out to dinner and they're like, where do you want to go eat? And you're like, oh, I don't care. It's fine. And then they're like, great, let's go get sushi. And you're like, oh yeah, no sushi. You know, I do care. I know that I care. Um, I could bend and do what you want me to do, but my spirit and my taste buds know that we don't do sushi. <laughs> you know, so it's no, it's being willing to claim those pieces of our heart that we know we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. And so, and, and typically the people who have been involved in or are close to us in our trauma, they're not usually the greatest lens for us to rely upon. And so I think an outside perspective, um, is really, really critical. No, that makes sense. So you, you mentioned self-trust. I'm assuming that that's kind of the character trait you've learned and realized. Mm-hmm, definitely. And we've already kind of addressed ways people can even start with that. If you, if you had the opportunity, and I know you get this with coaching, so you're kind of unique interview in that sense, because not everyone gets the opportunity. But what would you say to someone who has just kind of given up on that whole concept. Like I'm not going to figure this out and not that they're have, even if they feel like they failed or whatever it is, sometimes it's hard to even get to a place to want to trust yourself. Cause you don't mm-hmm. see a reason to, you know what I mean? I, I do know. How does someone get that slimmer sliver of hope to help them try again? I know that one of the greatest feelings, my heart experiences when I am coaching and even just when I'm sitting with a friend, And what I wish somebody had told me was, you don't have to get this right. You can do this messy. You are worth listening to. That little tiny voice deep down in your soul that is saying something that might scare the crazy out of you. It is speaking to you for a reason. And even though you hurt even though you look at things and it's an utter mess and you can't see a way out, that little tiny voice inside you is worth fighting for. You don't have to have the answers today. You aren't going to know the way out today, and that's okay. All you have to do today is take one breath, make one choice, and hold on because the path will become clear. Every time you hold on and take one more breath and are willing to open your eyes and open your heart to the possibility, not even the factuality, but the possibility that something different is available, then we we have hope and we can take one more step. I wish somebody had sat me down and said, you actually don't have to figure this out right now. All you have to do is take a deep breath and grab this little boy and love him. And I tell Jared that all the time. And he's like, but Michelle, you did that. And it was so chaotic and it was so painful. We needed more. We needed more than that. And he was right. We needed more. And and you're right. When you're in the middle of, of a hot mess, you need more. But our spirits need hope. And our spirits need to know that even in our state of broken, even in our state of pain and our 
state of loss that our inner voice is worth listening to and we are worth loving. The answers will come, but they are going to come slowly and they might be a little murky. So we don't get to control the pace of that. But what we do get to control is how kind we are to ourselves and how much room we give ourselves to be imperfect and just take one breath and one step. I love that so much. I think I know that for me, one of the hardest things is setting the right expectations for myself, especially when it comes to like mental and emotional health. I'm a very impatient person. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to crush this and figure it out really fast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just not, that's not fair. That's not fair to do to your heart and to your soul. It's just not. Well, I, you say that I remember at the very beginning of my experiences with therapy, I, she was like, you are pretty mad. You have some anger that you need to release, right? She was trying to be really nice to me. Pretty mad was an understatement. I had, I had 15 years of mad built up inside me and I was like, great, great. Because I'm a doer, right? So I'm like, great, we'll, we'll deal with it. Next time I want two hours instead of one and we'll just hash it out and I'll move on. <laughs> and, and she was like, uh, okay. I, I laugh because I've literally done the exact same thing. <laughs> so. And just so if anybody's listening out there, you know, it didn't, it, it worked for how it needed to work that day, but it didn't quite work in the linear systematic fashion that I thought it would. And, you know, I was, I was with that same therapist two weeks ago and, was working through some mad again and working through some big emotions again. And it's just a continual journey. So don't get too frustrated with the fact that you're a human being and you're still going to get to work through it. Continue to get frustrated with that fact. I don't like it, but it's true. And we get to keep learning. I talk to people about going to therapy all the time because it's such a big help for me. And there's still... It's gotten a lot better, but there's still like a stigma about needing to go to therapy in a lot of spaces. Yeah. So it's so funny to me because I'm like, guys, like we're all struggling. Why would we not go take care of this part? Like, why is it a bad thing to go get help? And then people do go like, well, I don't feel better after one session. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's not how right. this works. This is a process. And that's okay. Like, it, I get it. I've been there. I completely understand. It's a, it's a hard shift, not just, not just mentally to realize you, you need help and you need help with needing help. But even, even if there's not a lot of support, like I remember like, oh, I, I go to therapy. Really? I'm like, yeah, of course I go to therapy. <laughs> like, why is this a weird thing? Well, and I think, I think on the flip side of that too, is people think, well, why would I need therapy? Nothing that terrible has happened in my life or something so terrible has happened. They can't possibly help me. Like for some reason, we just discount that we belong there. I guess my, my words would be anytime we can gain outside perspective from a safe and trusted source and be led to to look inside and grow a little bit, we're going to benefit. And and don't be afraid of interviewing a therapist. You might go through two or three before you find a match. Not every therapist is great and not every personality connects. So it would be okay to meet with somebody, I'm using air quotes, but kind of interview them and see if they're a match for you and listen to what your spirit says. Is this somebody that can help guide me through this process. Now, if you're on, you know, to your fifth and sixth therapist, you might stop and consider the common denominator. But 
which is us, but it would be okay for it to take a couple times to find the right person. Yeah. And that's super valid. You don't have to meet with one person and then like, okay, well, I guess I'm stuck with you. <laughs> you need someone that you can click with. Yeah. Or I'm never going back because you were so terrible. Right. So yeah. Is there something that you wanted to bring up that we didn't get to in this conversation? You know, when I think of self-trust, I think one of the first moments of true realization that I had, we were painting our master bedroom red back when red was all the rage. And we were painting and I was talking to my husband and I said, you know, this life would be so much easier if we weren't living it through everyone else's eyes. And he stopped me and he's like, hold up, you need to grab onto that thought. And that was, gosh, that was, that was probably 16 years ago. But I will come back to that thought often. Life is so much easier when we aren't living it through everyone else's perspective. And when it comes to self-trust, we have to feel good at the end of the day about who we are and how we handled things. When we listen to all of the outside chatter, that gets real murky. But if we check in with our heart, not always just our brain, but with our heart, I, I know that we'll be led. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much, Michelle, for doing this interview. I, I know you have a lot going on and I appreciate that you said yes, especially more so after we talked. <laughs> Michelle is amazing, guys. Seriously, go follow her stuff. She has her own podcast. She's incredible. She has a lot of great content and checklists and and stuff on her Pinterest. Like She's just incredible. And I'm super excited to see what she's going to do next. Thank you. Thank you. And know that if you come listen to my stuff, I don't expect anybody to be perfect. So you can come trusting that you won't be judged. And I get it. It's hard. Like you said, knowing, knowing that you are worth listening to and can move forward with your life, knowing that, that's a huge deal. It, it just is. I, I think you would even say that changes your life, period. Changes everything. Changes everything. No, thank you so much. And, and thank you to you guys for listening. I love doing these interviews. I'm so excited to do more. If you know anyone that you would love to hear from or think their story is, is something that would help impact others, please reach out to me at kayleespeaks.com slash podcast. Obviously, I'm a fan of self-promotion, but I'm also aware that not everyone whose story needs to be told that well, those people necessarily volunteer themselves. So I'm asking you to volunteer them <laughs> so I can reach out. But thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to break down the self-trust character trait in the next episode. And again, thank you so much, Michelle. Everyone just do your best to build self-trust. Let Michelle know if you need help with that. Thank you so much and have a great day.